Blog Talk Radio. Welcome back to A Better World. This is your host, Mitchell J. Rabin, and I'm very glad you're joining us again today. Oh, Mozart, thank you. What a beautiful way to begin. Anyway, today we are going to have really a very special show, and we are going to be speaking about something so important to the lives of all of us. And this is really interestingly discussed and described in the latest book, by cellular biologist, world-renowned teacher and author, Bruce Lipton. Bruce has been a colleague and a friend of mine for many, many years. We've had him on the TV show a couple of times. We've had him on the radio show several times as well. When his new books come out, we are among the first to have him on to discuss what is always breakthrough work. And uh, it's really a pleasure to have him on and meeting you all again today to discuss a matter that is really, as I said, important in our hearts, in our relationships, our lives. He describes it as the honeymoon effect, the science of creating, yep, heaven on earth. Now, if you ask yourself, what could be better than that? Well, interestingly, there really is a science, there's a physiology, not to mention a belief system underneath this, and we'll get get to that momentarily. Bruce is initially the author of The Biology of Belief, which was a breakthrough work describing works he's been doing really back to the late 60s when he was a professor, a tenured professor at University of Wisconsin Medical School in Madison when he was doing some of the original work in stem cell cloning. And that research, well, it morphed and shifted and evolved, quite honestly, into providing us with an understanding physiologically, cellularly, of how our minds influence our bodies, how our perceptions affect ourselves, and actually even the full distance to our DNA itself. So speaking with Bruce is always enlightening. I'm sure those of you listening will get a tremendous amount out of it. In between this book and the book I just mentioned, The Biology of Belief, he also co-authored a book with Steve Behrman 
called Spontaneous Evolution. So Bruce has been evolving book by book and literally day by day, presenting us with material that is really, especially this time, very down to earth and something we can all truly metabolize. So Bruce, such a pleasure to have you on again, Bruce Lipton. My dear friend Mitchell, thank you so very much for this opportunity and thank all the wonderful cultural creatives tuned in. Uh, you're, you're looking outside the box for the answers is, the, is really the path to the evolution that we seek. So I'm glad all of you are here. Yes, good. Thank you so much. Well, Bruce, you know, I, as you well know, I have been a great follower and fan and admirer of your work. And uh, as you recall, many years ago when we first met, we thought of you as going to be the the next winner of the Nobel Prize for Medicine because, <laughs> well, let me tell you, <laughs> you still have my vote. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I'd rather have a Nobel Prize for health, you know. I keep away from that medicine yeah. as much as I possibly can. <laughs> yes, I understand. We'll have to set up a new category, talk about being out of the box, that's for sure. <laughs> well, Bruce, I'd love to, and I love seeing you in New York recently, too. It's such a wonderful time. You did another fabulous presentation of helping to illuminate, you know, that which is altogether too dark in people's consciousness about the way things work and understanding the fractal relationships between our inner cellular life all the way outward to the larger reaches of our society and beyond, needless to say, our species and etc. Um, is really always so enriching. And I know we'll be getting into some of that while we discuss this book of yours. So I'd love to just hand the floor over to you so you can discuss these fabulous ideas such as constructive interference and the work of um, vibrational entanglement. And uh, why don't you hit it and human beings as tuning forks and how we can all create uh, this honeymoon effect you speak about that I know we all long for. And I'll uh, tune in along the way. So please, <laughs> open you, it Mitchell. up. <laughs> well, uh, you know, we, we should just mention what the honeymoon effect represents so people have some appreciation of the concept. And I say, um, at some time, most of us at one time or another in our lives had fallen in love, like, you know, head over heels in love. It, it may have lasted yeah. a week or a month or a year if you're lucky. And, uh, and during this period of intense uh, uh, opening fresh love, uh, I, I say go back to that time period, and I, and I generally ask an audience three questions to reflect back on that time period. And I say, number one, uh, when you fell in love like that, were you healthy? Almost everyone says they were exuberantly healthy. I mean, they were just living real high. I say, did you have yes. energy? And they all laughed about that because they knew they made love for days without stopping for food or sleep. And so <laughs> there was boundless energy. And, and then the third question, I said, go back to those days when you were so deeply in love. And I said, you, you couldn't wait for the next day to have more. Uh, and they, they said, yeah, yeah. And I said, it was, it was like heaven on earth, wasn't it? And it's like, yeah. And I said, this was not a coincidence. This was not an accident. This was a, a personal creation. 
and uh, and unfortunately for most people, that juiciness of the alive state of uh, heaven on earth honeymoon uh, fades at some point into regular life, and people can still love each other, but that 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 whole electricity thing that was so gosh darn alive at that time, yeah, uh, still so alive. And, and so here's the interesting story that. There are reasons as to why we seek this, conscious and unconscious, very important. There are um, mechanisms to understand how we got into these relationships. And then there's also an understanding of why we lose these relationships. And the significance is very simple. If you know you created the relationship and you see how you did it and you know why you lost it, then that gives obviously the opportunity to have uh, a honeymoon experience every day of your life on this beautiful planet. And uh, and it's really fun for me to write about Bruce, it. Bruce, excuse me one moment. Yeah. Excuse me one moment. Are you hearing some interference on the line? No, I'm not. You're not. Okay. Ah. See the power of thought? It's just disappeared. Please okay, go cool. on. Okay. <laughs> so, Please continue. Uh, it, it's basically... Um, if you, my my own life was such a, an example. You know, I I was very successful at the level of biology and research because, as my book and biology belief reveals, that we are pretty much programmed. Uh, our lives are pretty much programmed first seven years, and um, uh, during that time. Uh, the programming I got about education was really great. My family was always into, you know, anything you can do for education, you know, go out yeah. and invest in it and do that. That was great. Yeah. In reference to uh, uh, being, a, a, you know, a, a subject of how personal relationships should be, uh, my family was not the most functional one at all in that category. And since that's yeah. also where programming occurred, then, it, you know, in retrospect, it made a lot of sense when I was older why I was always uh, professionally pretty good, but socially, personally, uh, I wasn't really doing very well. Uh, I mm. got married very young, immature. Ten years into that marriage, uh, I realized, look, I, I made a mistake in the very beginning, but it was, I, I had two young daughters, and, and like for most people that experience a divorce with kids, that is really emotionally devastating stuff. So mm. How old I were your kids out. at the time? They were uh, about uh, five and seven or eight, five and eight or something like that. Okay, early, early. Early. So um, uh, so what, when I got out and I was so, you know, like, thank you, universe, thank you, thank you, I promise I won't do that again. Uh, every morning, every morning when I shaved, I had a little mantra. Every time I sweep the razor down, uh, I, I would say, I'll never get married again. I'll never get married again. I did that for 17 years. <laughs> that was <years>. your mantra. <laughs> that was my mantra, and I was successful for 17 years. Uh, and by yeah. then, I had finished the writing of biology belief, really got into the nature of programming, and uh, I was just, you know, discovering a, a new way of life and creating a new way of life. And, and when you say programming, noticed, when you yeah. say programming, Bruce, just elucidate that for our audience so they really get what that is. Okay, this is really important. Um, uh, and actually, everything stems from this, so when we go deeper, if I just get this part over, yeah. Mitch, uh, Mitchell, then I think we got, okay, here's, yep. here's what it is. Uh, the, the understanding of the biology belief is that our, our perceptions of the environment, which include our beliefs about the environment, uh, shape our genetics and our biology and our behavior. 
and that our beliefs shape and create the world in which we live. And quantum physicists have said that since 1930, that our consciousness is is really responsible for the unfolding of the world in which we live. So that, that was already built That's in. That's a right. very powerful statement. And really, this is, when you go back to 1930, you are referring to the the quantum physicists who were beginning to give birth to that field at the time. Absolutely, because when they were giving birth to it, they saw it in the full, complete picture. And then, of course, you yeah. have to realize this. So they got this brand-new picture of how the universe works, and they live in a world where everyone else <laughs> is a Newtonian yeah. classical physicist. And, and so, yeah. so you have to bring this package <laughs> of, well, yeah. here's a whole new understanding of the universe. Everybody has a complete, outdated now version. And, and sure. there were a lot of wonderful ideas in there that were included right from the very beginning. And, and it's interesting because a lot of them got lost in the effort of trying to bring quantum physics to, to the scientific and public community without freaking them out. And, mm-hmm. and and that's where, like, oh, they say all that quantum weirdness only occurs at the level of atoms, you know, all, the, all this kind yes. of entanglement and action at a distance. And it's like, well, they said that because if you really brought it to the reality that it applies at every level of the universe, uh, all of a sudden it offered people back in those days in 1930 uh, this, this, my God, we're creating a universe. They weren't ready for that. So um, yes. all that was left out. And, it had and, to be stepped in over time right. in a Newtonian kind of way. <laughs> a- absolutely, because you had to feed the people with the language that they were already yeah. working with. And, right. and it was, I mean, it's like, let's be honest about it. To put Newtonian yeah. physics and quantum physics next together, and surely, uh, deservedly, quantum physics is called the weird physics because it doesn't sure. conform to that conventional Newtonian classical interpretation of how life works. Yes, in, in fact, fact, it actually is providing, as you and I well know, the bridge to all studies of consciousness and what we refer to as spirituality and what you could say the Zen monks have been saying for millennia about the nature of reality and the unified field of reality now has a scientific basis. Oh, absolutely. You know, what was interesting, Mitchell, is that uh, you mentioned the field a couple of times right there, and the field yes. is the is the physicist, physicist term of the energy uh, in which we're immersed, the invisible ocean of energy that we're immersed in. Yes. Uh, and it's called the field. And I say, well, what by definition is the field? So if you ask a physicist, the, the field uh, is, uh, and this was um, from Albert Einstein, okay, uh, uh-huh. He talked about the field as the sole governing agency of the particle. What the hell did he just say there? He said the field, that the invisible is energy, yeah. is yeah. the sole governing agency of matter. And so if you say, well, what's the definition of field? So uh, they would simply say, like, invisible energetic forces that uh, influence and shape the physical world. That's exactly what Einstein said. And I go, yeah. wow. Invisible energetic forces that you know uh, physically shape and influence the the, the world. I go, what's the, the definition of material world? Yeah, yeah, and then I said, what's the definition of spirit? Oh, invisible energy forces that influence and shape the physical world. <laughs> it's like, what a coincidence! Uh, they're base they're exactly the same. The concept yes. of spirit came without a science. It came with an observation with no mechanism. And therefore, always remained in the realm of metaphysics, because metaphysics has mechanisms. Physics means mechanics. That's you know that's what it means. And so mechanisms yeah. are and metaphysics are 
you know, things where you, there's no mechanism, you know, spiritual stuff, action at a distance. They, you can't put that into right. regular physics. So, uh, right. But with quantum right. physics, all of a sudden, that whole realm that was once separated from the real world and from physics, from metaphysics, quantum physics is the bridge and says, mm-hmm. yes, <laughs> metaphysics is actually an understanding of that quantum mechanical reality that underlies the physical world. So the weirdness of quantum physics is actually the is relevant to every aspect of the universe in which we live, which is yeah. the fact is that we're really energy beings in an you know in an energy body and and that really changes the foundation of how we look at health and life and and all that other stuff. Yes. And the body it goes from being a machine which is the Cartesian and Newtonian idea to an energy field as has been discussed by the ancient Chinese physicians, Taoists, the understanding of Ayurvedic medicine, which is also an energy medicine, and it it, it changes the game altogether because oh, we're now revolution. dealing with chi yeah. and ki and prana and shakti instead well, of simply... It changes the game, Mitchell, in, in medicine. In, in medicine, yeah. this is the biggest change of game because a, a classical Newtonian approach to medicine is that the human body is a physical machine and it works through physical chemistry, biochemicals, and DNA, and yeah. genes, all that kind of stuff. It's a physical machine. They study it with physical parts. And then it turns out when quantum physics comes in and says, you, you've been looking at the wrong level of the control. It's not in the physical yeah. part. The control is in the invisible part. And it's like, oh, my God, medicine uh, it doesn't even go there because medicine is unfortunately – significantly shaped by the pharmaceutical industry Uh, and that gives us really the the way medicine operates today which is to buy physical chemical drugs and the significance is that there's a game plan there it's called it's called a corporation and corporations make money and and if you can do healing without the chemical drugs that would really mess up the corporation so very interesting. Just follow your saying, Bruce. Just follow yeah. the money trail, and you'll understand the way science, so-called, gets shaped by big pharma. Absolutely, absolutely. So we have to disconnect, and uh, I think we got a long way from the honeymoon effect, Mitchell. Uh, uh, <laughs> What's new, Bruce? So moving, moving all the way back to the honeymoon effect. <laughs> so, so basically. Um, uh, the, the the biology is, is that we have uh, 50 trillion cells inside of our body. The cells are the living entity, and the nervous system is the coordinating factor. It's like the conductor. It doesn't tell the heart how to beat. It just tells the heart we need more, or we need less. It, it doesn't, you know. So the brain isn't like mm-hmm. uh, you know, like uh, intimately detailed controlling every little thing. It's just it's uh, the s- same as a conductor. Uh, with oh, you got the brass and the woodwinds and the percussion, and uh, and they're all operating on their own. But the conductor puts it together. So the nervous system coordinates the 50 trillion cells that make up a human body. So they operate as one human organism. And yes. and then the idea about this is is that. Um, we have to be able to operate this thing, you know, and, yes. and part of it is genetics, the the beating of the heart, the breathing, and the you know all the uh, you know the physiological stuff, the but so-called the autonomic aspect, systems, yeah, all that you don't have to think about it. Uh, but and the nervous system, uh, the coordinator has two two parts to it. The, and the, uh, it's called the mind, and the two parts of the mind are called the conscious and the subconscious. 
And the significance about the, this is the whole crux of the issue about relationships or anybody's issues in the world comes down really to this one fundamental understanding about these two minds, and that is this: the two minds are interdependent. They're not they're not the same. They're not one. Uh, they learn in different ways. Very important point. Uh, and they have profoundly different functions in keeping the organism alive. So um, if I say, oh, let, let's look at the two minds and, and then the, say the differences, and then when you understand the relationship, then you understand how we got into this world mess that we're in and how we're going to get out from just this. Mm-hmm. And it goes like this. The uh, conscious mind is the latest addition to the uh, to the brain, a lobe of tissue behind your forehead called the prefrontal cortex. It, it's the seat of your personal unique identity, uh, the seat of your consciousness, your your, your spirit. The seat, that's where you are. You uh, imagine a, a big office with a big panoramic window, uh, and and your desk is there, and you are in charge of this portion called the conscious mind. The former brain consisted, which is now about 90% of the brain after you add the prefrontal cortex, the, the rest mm-hmm. of the brain constitutes what's called the subconscious. And, and the subconscious is uh, like an autopilot. And it was there first. So the, the more primitive the organism is, the more reflexive it is. Okay, And, and mm-hmm. so uh, what happens is, is that the subconscious uh, uh, is like programmable, uh, and then you don't have to, to think all the time with it, okay? You can just push a button yes. and it does all the responses. The conscious mind is created. Sort of like second nature, you could say. It's like second nature. Absolutely. No thought involved. When we learn to drive, for instance. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the, the conscious mind is you, and it's unique because it's creative. That's the coolest part. The conscious mind uh, mm-hmm. that has you as an identity and is creative. It can think of things. It can morph things together, create new ideas, all that. Uh, and, uh, and also this, and this is critical. You ready? So the conscious mm-hmm. mind has you in it, but in its creative nature is the mind, by definition, and has your wishes, your desires, and your aspirations for life. So I say, Mitchell, tell me, tell me what you want out of your life, and whatever you begin to tell me, it's going to come from the conscious, creative mind that's putting together an image of a future thing. And I say, okay, that's the power of this conscious mind. And in its creative character, this is how it learns. It just needs to observe things. It just see an aha. The conscious mind can get, aha, I got it, and now the conscious mind learns. You can read a book, self-help book, go to a lecture, go see a video. Uh, and as I said, as simple as an aha, and the conscious mind can learn data. It's because it's, it's yeah. creative, and that's how it learns. And I say, yeah. okay, contrast, subconscious mind. Oh, that's the one that has programs in it. So it's a habitual mind, not a creative mind, habitual mind. And mm-hmm. the programs that it has are the ones that come from instincts that were built into the genetics. And then all the other programs are learned from life experiences. So... The the function of the subconscious mind is to interpret the, these life experiences and then make programs of behavior for them. But here's the critical part. To get the biology off the ground, to get a human to be a part of a, a social community, how many individual facts do you think a, a kid has to learn to become a functional member of society? And you realize thousands of facts. It's like, well, how can you teach an infant? So nature created a very interesting situation with human development first seven years the brain is predominantly in theta which is imagination uh low vibrational frequency lower than consciousness uh and and that's why children uh, seamlessly mix the real and the imaginary world together uh 
yeah. and uh, and then, but also it's hypnosis. <laughs> so basically, uh-huh. the first seven years of a child's life, it's like a video camera. It records everything it observes, and then makes programs and stores them in the subconscious like a giant jukebox of behavioral yeah. programs, and you push the button, and the program plays. So the stimuli uh, make a response, just input-output, reflex, like that. Yeah. Uh, no thinking, and it's, really, and, it may, and it's really great because without the subconscious, I mean, if we couldn't remember how to walk, you'd spend every day just trying to stand up. and, and Reinventing it, exactly. It would be like reinventing the wheel every day. Every day. So the subconscious is yeah. great because once you learn it, you don't have to do it again. Okay, now here yeah. comes the critical part. It's automated. It's automated. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. And and the programs that are in there, uh, uh, you know, facilitate our lives because we don't have to relearn every day everything. But right. here, here, the interesting part is this. The fundamental behavioral programs of how you uh, carry out your life, how you respond to other people, how you respond to issues and everything in your life, those programs came from observing other people during the first seven years of life, and mm-hmm. their behaviors are downloaded into your subconscious because you're like this video camera, and you're recording how they respond to life. And so the first seven years of your life, you're being programmed. Uh, you know, look, let's be honest, the Jesuits knew this for 500 years uh, because they'd even boast, which irritated me. Uh, they would boast and yes. say, give me a child until it's six or seven. It will belong to the church for the rest of its life. What they know is if you give me the first six or seven years of programming, I really pretty much own your life. And and it turns out this is true, but now I'll give you the science of why it's true. Mm-hmm. Here's the science. The conscious mind is you, your unique self, creative wishes, desires, aspirations, subconscious mind habits, and, and programs. But here's the thing. The subconscious, or the, excuse me, the conscious mind not as, it's not only unique because it's creative, but the conscious mind is totally unique because it's not time-bound. What that means, Mitchell, is that uh, I say, hey, Mitchell, what are you doing next Thursday? <laughs> and your mind mm-hmm. moves into next Thursday. I say, wait, 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 what would you do last Wednesday? And then your mind now is back in the Wednesday. Or I say, hey, Mitchell, mm-hmm. in your head, I want you to imagine this scene. And then your mind disconnects from the current moment, goes up into that creative space inside your head. I say, well, what's right. unique about all this time stuff? And the answer is this. When the mind is not paying attention to the current moment, then the default of the biology makes all behavior at the current moment come from the stored programs in the subconscious mind. So that oh. when you stop paying attention, when you stop paying attention to something, then the job is handled by the subconscious mind, okay? Yes. And, and, and the fact that's really important here is that uh, when you are playing these subconscious programs, which you downloaded from other people, yes. you don't see these behaviors for the reason why are you playing them. The answer was because you're not paying attention. And so mm-hmm. the behavior of everything, communication, uh, relationship issue, any, all the things you learned as a kid of how to be part of a family and a community, those behaviors are in there, but again, from other people. So here's the issue, and science now tells us where the problems come from. Mm-hmm. Because the mind time travels and the mind can be in thought, the conscious mind, it turns yeah. out that our conscious mind only runs our biology about 5% of the time. That 95% of our life comes from the subconscious programs. Subconscious. Uh, and the reason is is because we're in thought so much of the day that 
almost all of the behavior is now controlled by the previously programmed habits. But then those habits, remember, came from other people, and the conscious mind has your wishes and desires. So 5% of the day, you're moving your life toward your destination of wishes and desires, and 95% of the day, uh, you're operating from these programs of other people, which inevitably don't really support your wishes in the first place. That's right. And I mean, in other words, those, those programs, Bruce, that were put into place even in utero, not to mention yes. the first three, especially, but yes, as you're saying, up to seven years. Absolutely. So, and the issue we're living is, in the ancient really life from that point of view. We're living in the ancient life. We're living our earliest we're living somebody lives. Else's, somebody else's, somebody else's life. life, even more so. Exactly. Yeah, and, and and then the fact is, since you consciously, the brain wasn't really in a predominant uh, state of consciousness, uh, which is alpha, until after yeah. seven years of age. So that meant the first six, seven years of your life, the programs that went in didn't go through your consciousness. They were just downloaded directly in the subconscious. So you exactly. weren't even there to even understand the nature of the programming. You were just being programmed. And and and, and then the issue in about fact, that it's is more like a. It's more like a sleep state. Theta is right next door to delta, which are, these are the deep sleep states. Yeah. And this is why it bypasses consciousness completely. Whatever you observed exactly. and whatever you learned uh, didn't have anything to do with consciousness. So you don't see your own behavior. Here's the funny part. So in my lectures, Mitchell, I asked the audience, uh, I said, go back to a time in your life. I'm sure you were, you were close to a, a friend and you knew your friend's behavior very well. And you happen to know your friend's parent. And at one point, uh, you, you start to recognize your friend has some of the same behavior as their parents. So <laughs> you do a little casual volunteering like, um, hey, you know, Bill, you're just like your dad. And then you back away from Bill. <laughs> Bill goes totally ballistic. Casual volunteering. I like that. <laughs> uh, Bill is like, how can you compare me to my dad? And uh, so I tell people, same story, and they, they laugh because most people are familiar with this. Uh, I said, well, there's yeah. two profound points, and the profound point one is everyone else can see that Bill behaves like his dad. The only one who doesn't see it is Bill. It's Simple Bill. reason. Right. Because the Isn't reason he's the playing curious. the behavior, the reason he's playing it is because his conscious mind's thinking, and now he's playing the tape, which he got from his father. So he's playing his father's behavior, but because his conscious mind wasn't paying attention, he never saw it. And that's why he says, how can you compare me to my dad? Because he never sees that. Well, that's profound point one. And now profound point number two. We are all Bill. Every one of us, every one of us, every day are playing 95% of our behavior from the subconscious. And that behavior, when we play it, is not visible to us. And if it's not supportive behavior, then you're self-sabotaging and you yourself have no awareness of it at all. And and the problem in our world today is we get up in the morning with our conscious minds, desires, aspirations, wishes, and say, let's go forth and get that. And then you come home at the end of the day, tail between your legs, whimpering, going, God, there's a hell out there. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. I didn't get very far toward my destination today. Uh, and apparently then the forces are against me. It's not in my fate or not in my car. It's sort of like it's sort of like driving with the brain.
brakes on, which as I, I say to my clients routinely, you know, you're going exactly. to a certain destination, but, you know, you've got these subconscious programs that are tripping it up. So instead of walking or running, you're crawling, and sometimes you go backwards, you know. And sometimes you're Let's shooting everybody in your foot. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We are and, speaking and, with Dr. We are speaking with Dr. Bruce Lipton, cellular biologist, world-renowned teacher and author, who has recently come out with his latest book called The Honeymoon Effect, The Science of Creating Heaven on Earth. And one of the wonderful points you make, Bruce, in this book, and uh, came out in a conversation with you recently, is that our drive, even though the, the sexual drive is so deep and instinctive and desirous um, and, and so full of life and vitality, what we're really looking for ultimately is something actually which is not that. It may include that. In fact, it ought to include that. But it's a sense of bonding. And you know uh, the work of uh, Lynn McTaggart and the book she wrote uh, not long ago called The Bond, which lays out the neuroscience and the neurochemistry behind, as well as hormonal chemistry, behind this deep desire to bond, to connect. And could you talk about that a little bit? Because I think that's so central to what you're doing. Yeah, you know, built into every organism is is a fundamental drive. It's called the biological imperative, which simply means this: the drive to survive. Uh, we yes. people don't scientists don't know where it is. You can observe it, but you don't know where it is. But any organism, if you try and kill it, will will try to avoid dying. It won't just lay there and say, "Okay, kill me." Uh, it will do everything yeah. to stay alive. So every organism, from the most primitive bacterium to a human. It has a built-in drive for survival, biological imperative. And mm-hmm. the biological imperative is not just the survival of the individual. It's the survival of the species. So we are programmed to keep the species going as well as our own. Yeah. So we have drives personally for food, water, air. These are things we must have to stay alive. But we also have a drive, and it's not conscious. It's below consciousness. As I said, every organism is experiencing some drive of this nature, uh, the, the drive is to reproduce. Well, it, reproduction for primitive animals is really a simple process. You give them testosterone, estrogen, it's all you need to do. Uh, you make the environment right, the uh, organisms, the estrogen, testosterone in the males, estrogen in the females, causes the behavior, they, they mate, and, and then the thing is over with. So imagine like two frogs. Uh, in the right environment, the female lays the mm-hmm. eggs, the male responds by uh, uh, secreting the semen all around the eggs, uh, and then that's the end of the date, and they, they go away. There's no more. Uh, they don't need anything because the uh-huh. eggs are self-sustaining. And, you know, when the tadpoles hatch, the, the, they're proficient to take care of their own lives. They, they don't need the parent frogs, so there are no parent frogs. As you go up the evolutionary scale, especially to get the humans, when the uh, the infants are born, they're not ready to be on their own. Uh, and the greater the complexity of the organism, the longer it takes to go from birth to you know self sustainability. So in a yeah. human, let, let's say Autonomy. thirteen years, uh, give that an example. Uh, you conceive a child, but it's going to take thirteen years before that child's ready to be on its own. Well, nature it has to like well, I have to have somebody take care of this baby. It's not just reproduction anymore. Now it's yeah. it's You've got to be parenting. Well, and here's what nature does, because it's so beautiful and fun. Nature mm-hmm. uh, provides 
uh, energy, harmony, and in higher organisms with sensory uh, experiences, uh, pleasure, when the organism is moving in the direction supporting its biological imperative to survive. When an organism uh, engages in behavior that's antagonistic to survival, uh, nature provides that organism with uh, some bad vibes and disharmony and uh, fear. <laughs> so uh, and so and pain. So pleasure and pain, for example, are two ways to indicate to an animal that doesn't even have the conscious processing that we do that it's doing the right thing or the wrong thing. If it feels pain, it says, okay, I'm not doing that. I'm going to do this, do something else. And when it feels pleasure, it says, oh, I want more of that. So nature, using this mechanism, says, how am I going to get two humans to stay together for 13 years? And the answer yes. is, I will reward them with pleasure. <laughs> yes. And that, that pleasure. The pleasure principle. Exactly what it yeah. is, because nature's trying to say, yes. I encourage you two to be together for this time period, so you two shall yeah. experience pleasure, and that will keep you together while this child is in the process of growing up, and you can parent it. And, and so, At least up to the bar mitzvah, right? <laughs> well, that's yeah. Then it's a little costly at that point. Get your own pleasure. At that. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> and have your own bar mitzvah. <laughs> so. Uh, uh, so, yes. uh, it, you know, the estrogen, testosterone is just the reproduction part, but uh, then there's dopamine. Uh, that's released in pleasure, and that's what, uh, uh, when, when people start to find a relationship, which is, uh, uh, and this is energetically uh, uh, at a physical level, uh, experienced mm -hmm. in the field is vibration. You can feel it. It's called good vibes. Uh, and yes. when you fall in love with somebody, it's way beyond good vibes. It's, you know, whatever vibes are way beyond that. Uh, uh, because what nature is trying to tell you is that this person uh, and you have complementary vibration uh, that uh, you know support the biological imperative that you will make a you know a, a good uh, couple for uh, supporting the survival of the species. That's what nature is giving mm -hmm. pleasure for. And uh, at the same time, uh, when you start to fall in love and you can feel the good vibes for this person, you start to get the pleasure. You also get a release of vasopressin, which is um, sort of uh, preparing the house, the nest. Uh, for this, this is for us, a coupling kind of place like that. Attractive things mm -hmm. increase, increase so that you, you become more attractive in the way you express yourself and your partner is more attractive so that brings you together a bit more. So mm -hmm. we have dopamine for pleasure vasopressin for attraction, uh, and then we hit oxytocin, which is, that's the yeah. lock. Uh, oh, my oxytocin favorite. <laughs> is, is, is the bonding one, and, and that's mm -hmm. the one that says, wherever you got that pleasure from, stick with that. <laughs> that's the one you yes. want. And, and so yeah. uh, when two people are falling in love uh, and they experience the pleasure and the, that glow and attractiveness and all that, the oxytocin is uh, is like, uh, securing the bond, saying, okay, this is the one you're going to get your pleasure from. And so uh, it, it, it really connects people together. In fact, when yes. a mother is nursing her infant child, uh, when, well, during the process of nursing, she's releasing oxytocin into her, her body, and the infant yes. who is breastfeeding is, is releasing oxytocin into its body. And the significance mm -hmm. is the act of breastfeeding is a very – important bonding period between a mother and a child because the oxytocin being released simultaneously at that moment is saying these two are linked 
and and it forges a very strong bond. But the same kind of bond exactly. occurs between a man and a woman, or man and man and woman and woman. I don't care what the relationship is. That the the, yeah. the physical body is not what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about the mechanism, uh, mm-hmm. and the mechanism is that um, you get pleasure, you get more attractive, you get bonding, and the last one is really interesting because serotonin. Um, is associated with obsessive-compulsive disorder. But guess what? Mm-hmm. It's serotonin that rises uh, when you fall in love. And, and, and then, in fact, if you think about it, interestingly, uh, a, a real honeymoon love relationship is an obsessive-compulsive uh, behavior mm-hmm. because you want to be with this other person all the time. And when they're not there, you're thinking about them all the time. So yeah. uh, that's a serotonin consequence. And, and, and then the, the, the hooker... <laughs> is that serotonin uh-huh. is also associated with addiction. And so basically it yeah. says when you start to fall in love and get this pleasure, you become addicted and bonded to this person as the source of this pleasure, and, and you, you thrive on that pleasure. And then, of course, the problem is if the relationship doesn't work it, uh, the addiction is not satisfied. The individual that's just fallen out of love is going cold turkey, so to speak, and, and it's the same kind of uh, expression as a, like a heroin addict who no longer can get the heroin. Uh, the withdrawal of love is a very hard uh, um, uh, process to experience because uh, um, uh, the addiction, it, it just drives a person crazy. It, it makes people very sick <laughs> a lot of times because of uh, exactly. love is an addiction. So those are the chemicals that bring us together. Those Isn't are the vibrations that give us the information. And then the, the, the part about the mind. It's so interesting important. to watch how chemistry in nature, Bruce, through our bodies, of course, is uh, all of them are contributing to the bonding, to, to supporting love, and in some way you could even say supporting monogamy. Because if the oxytocin is rising and saying, go back to that place, that person, for that pleasure, you know, that becomes a, uh, a, a you could say, a habituated experience with uh, that absolutely. particular person. And, Would you and, say so? and, and when they do yeah. it experimentally with animals, with perivolves, they find the exact the same kind of thing. You withhold mm-hmm. the oxytocin, and the the pair doesn't stay together. You enhance the oxytocin, and they bond very tightly. Uh, so yeah. that, that's really where a lot of that information came from. It's very, very critical. And, very and again, nature started this whole process long before animals had consciousness and awareness about, oh, hey, listen, I plan to go on a date and get married. It's like, uh, yeah, there's no consciousness <laughs> here. It's just the moon was right, the sun was right, and it's like now that's it's really... all chemical. Uh, but we have an yeah. awareness of it. We have an, and we can manipulate that. And, uh, and, and the final understanding, just so uh, we, we have the two minds, and the two minds yes, control yes. behavior. The conscious mind is you with your wishes and desires and aspirations. Subconscious is the habits that you got and the fundamental ones from other people. Mm-hmm. Science has said that 95% of our life comes from the habits, and they're invisible. And if they're not good habits, that's why we struggle in life, uh, and we don't see it. Uh, and then I say, well, what happened during the honeymoon? And here comes the cool part. The mm-hmm. honeymoon, science has just recognized that when you're making love, 90% or more of your cognitive behavior is controlled by your conscious mind. 
In other words, mm. it's a complete reverse of a regular day where 95% of your behavior comes from the subconscious mind habits, except when you fall in love, 90% or more of your behavior comes from the creative wishes and desires of the conscious mind. The significance oh, so is interesting. when both partners are coming from that state of love and consciousness, then every cognitive behavior, action, every event is mediated by their personal wishes and their desires. Hence, the two, when they come together manifested wishes and desires yes heaven on earth was manifested because you were operating from the conscious mind and then you say and what happened to the honeymoon and then we go back and say inevitably life intervenes and it gets hectic and busy and when life intervenes you have to start thinking about things the moment you're Mm -hmm. thinking about things is the moment you uh, uh your conscious mind's not paying attention you start defaulting to the subconscious behaviors. Remember, mm-hmm. these behaviors did not play during the honeymoon because when you remain conscious, you controlled your behavior with your wishes and desires. But once your conscious mind is busy thinking, you default to the subconscious, you start playing these habits. But they're not habits. That you, the fundamental ones are not yours. You they're not chosen habits. They're not self-chosen habits. Right. No, and and since you don't see them when you play them, that's the nature of it, then yeah. you don't even know that what you're doing is very destructive, possibly, of the relationship yes. when your uh, automatic uh, subconscious programs kick in. And, and, right. and so basically what happens is this. The subconscious has some pretty crappy behaviors. That's what psychologists will tell everybody. Uh, disempowering, self-sabotaging behaviors, all acquired during the first seven years of life. And the significance about that is if you played those behaviors on your first date, you may not have had a second date if the person saw, oh, my God, those behaviors really suck. (laughs) That's right. You You need to be very conscious when you go out on those dates, right? But the whole thing is conscious, Mitchell. That's why when, when people are in that beginning phase, Everything they're playing, they're not playing habits and old behaviors, or they're creating right. from the, their personal wishes, and that's and that's that's right. be- that beautiful part. But when the mind gets busy, these behaviors start showing up in the relationship. They were totally uninvited, not even supportive of the relationship, and most importantly, those that are playing those subconscious behaviors are totally unaware of the fact that they actually did those behaviors because. They were coming from the subconscious. So, uh, example with my partner Margaret, let's say we're having a great relationship as we always do, and uh, mm-hmm. but let's say we we'll go back to the beginning part, and um, all of a sudden uh, she asked me some simple loving question. I'm thinking about uh, fixing my car, so my conscious mind's off in the world of fixing my car somewhere. Mm-hmm. I turn around to Margaret. She asks me a simple question. I turn around to her, and I go, blah, blah, blah. And she looks at me, and this is the usual line that comes out, so people are familiar with it. She looks at me, and when I just came out with this, and says, who are you? Uh, and basically what she's trying to say is, where the hell does that behavior come from? And now you have to put it in context is, well, the behavior I just did, yes, I got it from my father, but when I did it, I didn't see it. And now, back into the argument again, she said, what kind of behavior is that? And my mind is like, what are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, I have no idea what you're talking about. Uh, is that negative, that bad behavior? I said, I don't do bad behavior. I'm a good person. Well, that's true of my conscious true. mind. But once yeah. I slip into the subconscious, I don't know what the hell's coming out of there. You're, uh, you're and, lost in that world. Exactly. You you're are. lost in that world. And but you're also making separation. 
This causes separation right. because one person's accusing the other. The other one is totally like in their mind innocent, like I don't know what the hell you're talking about. And yeah. but when they start, when you start slinging an accusation, the first posture any organism will take is protection, and protection That's means right. wall yourself Defense. off from the threat. And the, all of a sudden, that juicy honeymoon relationship. Now there are two people that are standing next to each other with walls between them because uh, of the preservation behavior of, of being attacked. And, and, and as these walls start manifesting more and more, uh, the juiciness, of course, and the beauty of that honeymoon starts to disappear because now this is regular life filled with those you know, stupid behaviors that, eh, you know, I, they really suck, but, I, you know, I like the person, so I accept them, I compromise, and then you realize right. compromise compompromises that's when the honeymoon gets lost you compromise that's right that's and then right. you have regular life in that case bruce at the beginning of you know you've had the honeymoon with margaret and then you were thinking about your car and then she asked you some simple question and you had that subconscious reaction which was really not you, it was your father that got programmed in very, very early. You weren't conscious of who you were at the moment of the reaction. How do you then resolve that moment? Well, basically... And how do you, it, take, it, how do you take the wisdom of your book, which I have loved, by the way, I'm so enjoying <laughs> it, The Honeymoon Effect, and apply it to the situation? Well, then you start to recognize, my goodness, if I'm not seeing most of my behavior before I start lashing out at people in self-defense and defending and yourself them, right. uh, you have yes. to start looking back and, and this, is the, this is the hard part about the biology of belief because it's still the same conclusion yes. we are personally responsible for, for this life and if you don't see the 95% that's playing uh, then the tendency is what what is our conventional awareness well Jesus, I had a great desire to be successful, and it didn't work, so it's not me. I'm a victim. Mm -hmm. And so most people say, well, it doesn't work. I'm a victim of these people and that person and this. And it's like, wait a minute. You didn't even see your own behavior. So you have no idea how you have participated in this whole thing. And the fact is, it's always participation. You're always involved. And why You are actually a victim of your own subconscious. Absolutely, really, but it's invisible. Until you get conscious. It's, it's, but it's invisible. It's when invisible. it's invisible, then you exactly. can't assign it. It's like, like who did it? That's Where right. did it come from? How are know. you accountable for something that's invisible that you do not see? Ah, uh, yeah, but guess saying. what? If you have a relationship, you have a mirror. <laughs> <laughs> you bet. And if you have a mirror, right. and, and your mirror understands the nature of the behavior that it wasn't personally directed that that yeah. behavior had nothing to do with me as a person, but it had to do a lot with my family, then yeah. all of a sudden that that thing doesn't become an argument, and it doesn't become, oh, my God. It becomes like, well, Bruce, you, perhaps you didn't see you were, you know, that, that behavior. You were, you know, boy, you were just acting like your father then because of this. Is that what you wanted to do? And then I'd have to say, God, I acted like my, oh, man, really? <laughs> Get me out of here, right? <laughs> right. So and, in and other words, that moment, that feedback puts you into the loop of choice. You yes. now, because Margaret sees something and says something, uh, and you receive that feedback, 
and if you're lucky, she knows how to give that in a in a loving, compassionate way, then you can receive it and you can reflect yourself and make what's subconscious conscious. There you go. And every time it happens, it's when you stop it, it's creating a habit. Because what yes. the habit, the new habit is, before I engage in this behavior, I learn to stop it. Uh, because yes. every time I stop it, it's, it's a reinforcement of this is not a behavior I want. <clears throat> and, and, and you change. That's a moment, as you said, conscious decision. I have a choice. I can do my father's behavior and just keep going with it. Or at this yes. moment, I can decide, why am I doing this? Let's don't do that. Let's do something different. If Every time I do that, I am creating another step in a habit. Every time I redirect the behavior so the same stimulus is not going through the old response, but I keep yes. offering the new response, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, every time I do that, it's building a habit. Well, the relevance of building a habit is then it becomes an unconscious, subconscious program. And there, yeah. guess what? No longer am I doing that behavior. Do I even have to think about it because the mind has learned that that's not the response I do with that stimulus. Yeah. And once you do that, you've reprogrammed that out. And what's the significance? Here's the beautiful significance. If you could get your subconscious programs to match the wishes and desires and aspirations of your conscious of your mind, conscious mind. Mm-hmm. and they both have the same programs, then that means even if you're not paying attention, your subconscious mind is engaged in a behavior that totally encourages the honeymoon that you're living in. And basically oh, what does that mean? It says, God, you could daydream your whole way through life and be on a honeymoon without even yeah. putting an effort into it because the subconscious is programmed always to take you to that place. Yes, exactly. In other words, rather than the subconscious being perpendicular or squared to the conscious wishes and desires, it is in alignment with, and it's very powerful, as we all know. And if you can harness that subconscious power behind your conscious desires and wishes, you've got a winner. Absolutely, because you'll be operating 100% of the day in the same field that created the honeymoon, and why then it would never disappear. And, 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 and uh, you know, I don't know how long it works. I, I'm 17-plus I'm years into the experiment, and it's going pretty strong, <laughs> and it works because I'm an experiment of my own because I'm the guy who had a 17-year mantra that I'll never get married again. Uh, I've passed yeah. the uh, midpoint now, or the halfway thing. I'm beyond 17 right. years in the honeymoon. So uh, I'm yes. looking forward to this as an ongoing theme uh, uh, to, to, you know, for the rest of my life. Yes, yeah, so you are a living experiment. You live in your own, and you, you share your Petri dish with Margaret. And uh, you're, <laughs> <laughs> you're coming out to report to us all out here. You know, from a skeptic like myself, uh, yes. this is a great admission. It's like, oh, my God, it really works. It is yes. so wonderful because no longer am I a victim uh, of these programming uh, errors that were introduced during the first seven years. You know, it's interesting because uh, uh, most people have seen the movie The Matrix. Uh, yes. and, and, you know, if you look for it in the video store, you have to go under science fiction. And, I, and I'm saying, you know what? The Matrix belongs in a documentary section. Yeah, because it's true. Right. We're all programmed. 
and and I say, well, you know, in the movie they say take the blue pill and you go back to, to sleep into the program, or take the red pill and get out of the program. Yeah. And, and then yeah. if you were concerned, you say, what would happen if I got out of the program? And I'd have to laugh and tell you, guess what? Yeah. The day you fell in love with somebody was the day you started living without the program. It was only when the program came back in that the whole thing got screwed yeah. up again. So That's basically right. it says, geez, without the program, heaven on earth is affordable to everybody. Exactly. Uh, you put it so beautifully, Bruce, and I so appreciate it. In neurolinguistic programming, we have this idea of a program interrupt where uh, – Someone is living the life of their program that you were speaking about earlier, but then there's some life event that just stops us dead in our tracks. And yes, that moment of falling in love where we melt, the program sort of melts, and we become conscious. In fact, we become hyper-aware of everything. Our sensory apparatus and perception become enhanced, and everything takes on a new meaning and sense of, of purpose, if you will. It's almost like the universe is conspiring to make us happy and to make every moment meaningful. Wouldn't you that, say? That was its intention, Mitchell. That, was, the, that yeah. was why it said, I need you to be together, and how am I going to do that? I'm going to create such a, a, a world experience for you. <laughs> yes, exactly. This is, you will seek this your whole life because that's how good this is going to be. Right. And all of a that's sudden it's right. like, yeah, I'll, I'll support your biological imperative for sure. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. And um, Gurdjieff talks about um, a shock, an internal or an external shock. Sometimes it's the loss of a loved one. Sometimes it's a, a physical accident or injury or something of that sort that will stop people in pattern interrupt. It stops them in their tracks. And all of a sudden they start to become very conscious of the value and the preciousness of life. And I would like to just add those. I mean, love is the best. There's no, you, you really hit the nail on the head with that one. But I want to just broaden it out a little bit, Bruce, to say, and hear what you have to say about it, that anything that will interrupt our, our subconscious habits and give us a chance to look in powerful feedback from the field, so to speak, um, you know, something like our government doesn't get because they've cut off communication. They don't want to hear what we have to say. Or in a family, when the parents don't want to hear what the children have to say, you know, because of the walls and the fortresses that are developed. Or in a lover relationship, when things have started to get a little stagnant or cold, they, they lose the listening. But once they reconnect to the listening and to the feedback loop, then they can reconnect to being conscious again and breaking out of, you know, there's one other thing I'd like to put on the table here. You know, I was thinking as you were speaking earlier about Eckhart Tolle and his emphasis on being in the moment. Well, at that moment that you were describing earlier of when we disconnect and we go into our default program and we start thinking about we just lost track of the moment where we're usually conscious and we lose our conscious ability to create because we're in this past future you know continuum can you comment well, on the, that the, yeah this is, is Does that it, all make sense to what you? it's all about uh, it's yeah. empowerment empowerment says this you are your conscious mind the less you operate from the conscious mind 
the more you're you're going to become part of the program that you got. Uh, and it doesn't mean that everybody's program is bad, but boy, on a collective level, uh, the program situation is this bad. As far as I know, we would uh, in, in, in some of the belief change programs I get involved with, uh, yeah. we ask people to do a, a test, uh, a, a kinesiology muscle test for a statement. Is this the psyche? Why don't you tell us a little bit about the psyche? Well, it, 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 the whole idea is this. Okay, let's say we, we, we test our belief system uh, using muscle kinesiology. That's an, uh, a way of testing things. Very simply how it works is the two minds, remember, work together. Uh, and if the conscious mind makes a statement and the subconscious mind's database doesn't support that statement, then the subconscious mind is like out of harmony with the conscious mind. The disharmony results in a weakness of the muscles because the subconscious controls the muscle. So if you make a statement with your conscious mind, your subconscious mind reviews the data and says, wow, that doesn't fit anything we know, right. uh, then the subconscious <laughs> is, is frazzled. It causes a weakening yeah. of the muscles, and that's when you get a weak test. And But if the subconscious says something in the uh, I mean, the conscious mind makes a statement, a creative statement, and the subconscious mind agrees with it, so both minds are in harmony, then the muscles are really strong because of, of the nature of the harmony. So when you make a statement, you can find out, do you, does your subconscious believe it or not, based on the response of the muscles, which reflect harmony and disharmony. So mm-hmm. we ask people to test, uh, I love myself, 80% or more of the people will not pass that test. And, and, and it turns out the reason why is, uh, during our development, we we were programmed uh, to see ourselves the way parents yell at kids, like you're not that smart, you're not that, you don't deserve that. You're not you good enough. You are all these not good enough. Uh, these kind of things. Uh, parents say that actually not to to abuse a child. The, the parents are thinking, I'm like I'm the coach. <laughs> when I tell the player yeah. this, they're going to work harder. And I go, well, that works yeah. if the child is conscious uh, after seven years of age. But before seven years of age, the child's not conscious, so it doesn't interpret what you're saying. All it does is record what you're saying. So mm-hmm. when a child is told, you don't deserve, the recording in the child's mind is, I I do not deserve. And since behavior is to create coherence between the program and life. If your program is, I do not deserve, then the mind will take that program and manifest life experiences to support that belief. So you will actually sabotage yourself. And in the end, uh, the mind and reality will match. Yep, you do not deserve it, and that's what happened. So the idea is we most of us have been programmed with these very negative disempowering beliefs about ourselves and, and you need to change it and i said well how do you change it and i said well this is why change is so hard for most people because most people think that the conscious mind and the subconscious mind are totally connected with one another so if the conscious mind learns something i just read the self-help book then my subconscious should know this as well and then that's where the failure comes in. It's like you can read all the books you want, go to all the lectures and videos. That's not how the subconscious mind learns. So you can educate the conscious mind, which all of us do, and never yes. touch the original programming in the subconscious mind because it's not how it learns. There's nobody in there, so even talking to yourself is a joke if you think about it because I say, who are you talking to? I'm talking to the subconscious. I go, well, there's nobody in there. It's a machine. So uh, this is frustrating as hell because uh, we talk to ourselves and not much change occurs because of that. Interesting. Um, So you mean the whole idea of the self-talk type of um, modality you're, you're taking a bit of a stab at? Absolutely. It's just like positive thinking because, remember, positive thinking is creative thinking of wishes and desires, right? I go, yeah, but that's really mm-hmm. great. Positive thinking works when? 
when you're running your life with your conscious mind. Oh, well, geez, yeah. most people only have 5%, 5%. so that means right. you're, then your positive thinking frequently doesn't really have any changes unless the positive thinking exactly. conforms with a subconscious belief. Then both minds will work together to make so it. So then first. how are you suggesting that we – uh, that we engage the subconscious mind in order to make the changes we desire. Well, to understand, the first way we learned seven years was uh, the mind was in theta, which is hypnosis. Yes. So uh, hypnosis or self-hypnosis, subliminal tapes, uh, this is a way of reaching uh, into the subconscious mind because it operates uh, at the theta level of vibrational frequency, yes. and, and that's below consciousness. Mm -hmm. uh, the second mm -hmm. way we learn is habit. Basically, it says yeah. keep repeating the damn thing over and over again, and it becomes a habit, and then you don't have to think about it because guess what? A habit is now a program. So uh, being mindful, remember the idea of, of being conscious and then seeing your behavior? Um, this is a way of learning because every time you see a behavior that's not supporting, all you have to do is say, yes, uh, this is not the behavior I want. I, I want to do this behavior. And every time you stop the old behavior and say, this is the behavior I want, uh, what you're doing is habitually uh, creating a new program to override the old one, and, and that's very powerful. Uh, and then the last but the most important one for me is uh, the new set of belief change modalities, which include things like uh, energy psychology. And there's something unique about this because these uh, uh, belief changes uh, that affect the uh, subconscious mind uh, they're more like a, a super learning techniques where you can rewrite the programs in subconscious mind in 10 minutes or so uh, by mm -hmm. exercising the, the, the recording device of subconscious mind in the appropriate way. Uh, you can open it for download and, and, and change the belief. And so there are many different ways, uh, and they're related to NLP, which you talk a, a lot yeah. about, Mitchell. Uh, mm -hmm. the, all, all kinds of different kinds of programs I have. Uh, resources on my website, uh, which list yes. uh, 20 or more uh, of these belief change modalities. But they're super learning techniques, and they're the most like, important and exciting thing right now because um, uh, nature, what, you know, let's see, what is the, the, the mother of invention? Necessity is the mother of invention. Necessity, right. Uh -huh. uh, and if you look at the yeah. world situation right now, you realize something. It's a necessity that we change our consciousness right away in order to get out That's of right. this mess that we're in. Uh, and it's, right. so it's interesting that these new belief modalities have shown up at this recent time, which allow yeah. profound changes in the subconscious programming, which free you, because as the uh, as the matrix revealed, you you are the program mm -hmm. until you rewrite yeah. the program with what you want, then you're free. Yes, yes, indeed. Well, you know, just to remind you, uh, hypnosis has actually been around for a long, long time. But it has, for a number of reasons, been um, demoted, unfortunately, just in you know, popular culture, I think, think through misunderstanding. But thank God for Milton Erickson, who really helped to put breathe new life into it and renamed it really hypnotherapy. But interestingly, as you well know, Bruce, uh, he used storytelling as a means of accessing a person's subconscious story slash programming, and then altering the story, giving it a new outcome, which would be more congruent with their desires and conscious wishes. And in that way, he was, in a sense, tinkering purely through telling stories with their subconscious mind 
and bringing it into alignment. That's brilliant. Absolutely. And this is this yeah. is what we need to do because first we have to become aware, and that's the biggest point right now. Become aware that the behavior we express most of the day is not necessarily any behavior that's going to encourage you to go where you want to go. Uh, and and yes. very briefly, just because this is fun, uh, you just have to say, yeah. well, well, Bruce, uh, those programs came in. But, you know, I was in utero. Uh, I was one, zero, two years old, right. three years old. I don't know what the programs are. <laughs> <laughs> and I say, well, here's the here's the fun fact. The fun fact is this: ninety five percent of our life is coming from the subconscious program habits. So the relevant mm-hmm. your life is a printout of your subconscious. You don't have to go yeah. backwards in time to find out what's in your subconscious. Look at your life at this current moment and take exactly. an assessment this way. Whatever comes to you easily, whatever you don't have to work at in any way, just comes to you. It comes to uh-huh. you because you have programs that encourage that. And then in reverse, Anything you work hard at, anything you sweat over, anything you know that becomes a job and, and you you know you're struggling with, why are you working and struggling so hard for this? And the answer inevitably comes down is because there's subconscious programs that do not encourage that being in your life. So mm-hmm. you're not fighting against the world; you're really struggling with a program inherent in you that doesn't yeah. offer you that outcome. And, and and it's fun because once you see, look at your life and see what's missing, uh, you can easily, you know, make uh, statements uh, to put into the subconscious to compensate and and uh, eliminate the negative ones and put in the positive ones and using these uh, uh, belief change modalities. Yes, indeed. Now, there's another level. I, I so appreciate what you're saying. Um, you know, there's an electrical component of all of our thoughts, conscious and subconscious, as we know. I mean, we are, you know, the the old book uh, by Becker called, Dr. Becker, called The Body Electric, really yes, outlined, right, isn't it? Uh, really outlined for us the true electrical nature of our body, which is one of the reasons that um, acupuncture and energy medicine and the sort of biofeedback work that I do can be effective because it's working with the nervous system and it's working with charges or valences of certain thoughts. And the more we have charged a uh, feeling with thoughts originally, so it becomes a, a deep emotional sense, we, you could say, could assign a number to it of how deep that feeling is when we feel something very deeply or we're passionate about something on the, on the good side of it. But on the negative side, we can feel a repulsion to something, or we're having such trouble with something, or we have habituated anger, let's just say. Now, we could you look at the entire phenomenon, couldn't we, as an electrical phenomenon, and then rebalance those negative um, charges, those heavy charges, by providing the opposite charge to bring it to neutral, to zero. What are your thoughts? This is basic quantum mechanics. When we start to recognize that, you say, well, we're made out of atoms, and those are the physical particles of the universe. And I go, yeah, but what is an atom made out of? And quantum physicists, that's where it came into being. When they looked inside, they said, the atom isn't made out of anything physical. So from the energy inside, 
uh, it acquires yeah. a physical characteristic. So a human body has a perception of being physical. Uh, it reflects mm-hmm. light. I always joke with people. I say, well, uh, you can see me because you see I'm physical, but actually you can't see me if I turn the lights off. And the significance yes. about that is it's the light bouncing off of my energy that you see. You don't yeah. see my physical body. You see a reflection of light because the body is made out of swirling uh, uh, um, energy vortices. vortices. Yeah. Uh, uh, each atom is like a, a nano tornado, and, and mm-hmm. tornadoes have physical uh, expression. Uh, you, you can push on it, it'll push you back. <laughs> and so. Yes. Uh, Energy can acquire physical characteristics. So when you understand basically the, the quantum mechanical nature that uh, a human body is made out of energy, and here's another uh, fun-filled fact from Bruce. Um, yeah. the, the body is made out of 50 trillion cells, and by definition, uh, every, every cell is – it's interesting because the original name cell by Leeuwenhoek, when he looked in the microscope the first time and saw it, he saw a cork, dead plant tissue. So he saw the cell walls, all these little boxes – there are cells like prison cells that in Latin rooms, like you call them rooms. Oh, uh, he didn't see wow. what the real cells are, so originally they were totally misnamed. He, he was calling the invisible, the empty part of cell. There wasn't anything in it. Uh, but it's interesting because the same word cell today also means battery, wet cell or dry cell, yes. you know, battery. Which is all That's energy. Yeah. Uh, and so every cell yeah. in your body has, if you put an electrode under the membrane, has a negative charge, and they put the electrode on the outer surface of the membrane has a positive charge. Mm-hmm. By definition, that's a battery. You separate it positive and negative. And every cell has voltage. No, it's not very much. Every cell has about one, 1. 1.4 volts uh, of yeah. uh, electricity in it. And uh, so it's not very much in a cell. But then I say, yeah, but a human is 50 trillion cells. And then basically I say, well, how much energy is in your body right now? 70 trillion volts of electricity are in your in your body and, and the chi workers uh, people who start to exercise that as much as uh, metabolic exercising and running and all that stuff increases the the blood circulation mm-hmm. uh, there's a chi circulation system and you can exercise that and focus that chi uh, and that's what you know all the martial arts and all that kind of stuff are, are and all qigong, about of qigong uh, and, and 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 you can summon up this energy and and, and use it to to uh, I use a video in my lecture of a uh, uh, a guy in um, well, on the Pacific Rim uh, he, he uh, ignites a, a paper puts his hand over yeah. the paper and focuses the energy and and he releases from that uh, a, a burst of energy that actually causes the the paper to catch on fire. Uh, and it's sort of like, yeah, bodies are energy, all right. From the individual atoms all the way up to the cells, we are indeed body electric. Yes, exactly. Actually, even closer than the Pacific Rim, I saw that in L.A. with the Chi Kung Master. <laughs> oh, cool. <laughs> but, yeah, cool. I, but I your point... Me. What? Yeah. You go ahead, Mitchell. I'll send, I'll send you the airfare next time. Um, but... Uh, <laughs> Uh, you know, but but you're you're outlining this point. These points are very powerful because what we see ultimately, and you're very much making the point, actually, in all the work you do, is that as an energy body, we are utterly mutable and transmutable, and that means nothing in this universe, including our bodies, is fixed, and Absolutely. that means 
we are actually constantly being change agents, and it's our subconscious mind and the fear that runs that subconscious mind most times is the thing that seeks to stop what's inevitable, which is change. Yeah, and it's unfortunate because you just have to realize that the difference is that growth and protection are mutually exclusive behaviors in biology for a very simple mm-hmm. reason. Growth, yes. you have to be open to the environment to assimilate from the environment, right? Yes. Protection means you have to be closed from the environment to protect yourself from the environment. Well, the, the simple point is you can't be open and closed at the same time. So right. the, the biology has a protection mode and a growth mode. And, and the protection mode is basically wall yourself off from the world where the threats come from. And, and once we get into that, it's quite unfortunate because then protection inevitably compromises growth. And and the original plan of nature was, okay, yeah, you need protection because there's a saber-toothed tiger out there, and he's going to chase you. If he chases you, you got to run away. Uh, and once you run away and escape and the tiger's gone, then you don't have to be in protection anymore. So protection was supposed to be only a part of our life that was used very infrequently for short periods of time because mm-hmm. uh, it compromises growth. And then you look at the world we live in today, and it's 24-7, 365, be afraid, be protected, cover yeah. yourself, uh, watch out. And so guess what? This compromise of being in protection for so long uh, has compromised growth to the extent that our illness – the the massive amount of illness on this planet, almost all of it, 90%, is related to stresses where we are closing ourselves down in protection and 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 they're sustained. And and this is what we have to get out of uh, because this is what they've been selling us. Uh, those who are in control know that if I scare you, you will get in protection, which will separate you from other people because you're closing yourself down, separate you from yeah. the nutrients of life. Uh, yeah. So you get disempowered and you get sick. And then you look at the United yeah. States and say, wow, we're one of the sickest nations in the world. And I say, yeah, look at the newspaper every day. Everything yeah, is a right. fear about a something which That's is provoking right. a closing down of your own growth, and, and that, that is a serious problem. Exactly. Well, we know that, you know, leaders actually it was uh, Freud's cousin who was the founder of the field of public relations was really instrumental in helping uh, political leaders, including Hitler, understand the, the phenomenon. The anecdote goes way back further to Machiavelli and, beyond, and before of the use of fear as the thing that will rally people behind a leader like nothing else. You just name an enemy. It has nothing to do with reality, so to speak, but it's a fictionalized form of reality because the nervous system will always react accordingly because there is no distinction, as you and I well know, between what we refer to as real and what is imagined or virtual. The the nervous system will respond according to what it's in front of because of our subconscious programs. So from that point of view, everything is a vicarious experience. We're always experiencing what is the movie that's playing in front of us, whether it's a car chase or it's lovers embracing. Our nervous system is following that lead. Could you talk about that? 
Well, the the issue as we we talked about is if you understand this manipulation, yeah. And if you understand that you can program children up through age seven and know that yeah. their subconscious is inevitably going to be running their lives, and so their wishes and desires are irrelevant. Uh, and you understand the nature yeah, right. of this fear and this protection, uh, then you understand the nature of how we as a people have been manipulated for a thousand years, a couple of thousand years, and especially when you, you put something in front of people such as the devil. <laughs> it's like, holy shit, right. the devil. <laughs> well, I need protection. Who's going to give me that? How much does that cost? Wow, that's yeah. quite, a, quite a sum, isn't it? And And, yeah. and, and, the, and the fact is, when we get sold something to be afraid of, then yeah. we inevitably buy whatever is going to protect us. Uh, and it's mm-hmm. funny because uh, uh, in the previous civilization run by the church, uh, the whole story was the invisible forces of spirit and the negative things are going to get you, and you can't connect to that because we are the ones that connect to that. Uh, and then yeah. when you pay us enough money, we will connect you to the source. Uh, it, it's not yeah. any different. It's not any different than uh-huh. medicine today's medicine mm-hmm. uh, because mm-hmm. it claims oh you have no control over your genes and you have no control over this biology and therefore you're a victim of things outside of your control and we offer and we in this case pharmaceutical industry offer sure. you the protection resolution that you need so I scare you into your sickness and then I sell you the stuff that actually doesn't cure your sickness but you'll pay for it for the rest of your life and, yeah. and it's funny because in the former civilization the fears were were broadcast by the guys in the black frocks and and mm-hmm. in the current civilization the fears are broadcast <laughs> by the guys in the white frocks in the white uh, frocks i knew where you were going right <laughs> and, 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 it's and, very funny but and they use the gene and one of the I, I really want to just let the audience know that bruce lipton was largely responsible for helping us turn the ship profoundly in a different direction when it comes to our understanding of the underpinnings of our genes as what governs us and that we are, as you said it, Bruce, the victim of our genes. And the entire genome project is predicated on this idea. Medicine is predicated on the germ theory, which was disproven, you know, of Pasteur's, and the gene project, you know. Could you talk a little bit about that for clarity's sake? Yeah, well, the whole idea of genetic control, which is what I was teaching medical students back at the uh, University of Wisconsin and what uh, almost everybody learns in elementary school, the textbooks say, yeah, genes are the DNA and they control the traits. And uh, and then you say, well, wait a minute, the genes control the traits? I go, yeah, and and then I say, "Uh, did you pick the genes you came with? And then you say, as far as I know, no, I don't think I did. And then I say, but if you don't like the traits that you have, can you change the genes that you came with? And the answer is, no, I can't do that. Uh, and then what am I selling you? I'm selling you an idea that your life is controlled by these genes, and you didn't pick them, and you can't change them, and therefore you are a victim of your heredity. And that's what we teach. Oh, my God, you got cancer, Alzheimer's, diabetes, whatever, running in your family. Uh, and these are genes that you could get. And if uh, you get right. these genes, you're going to have this. And, and so we buy into the story of genetic control, which in simple terms means uh, victimization. 
You're a victim right. of genes. There ain't uh, nothing you can do it about it. My mother. No. You know how many times I've heard people say, Bruce, well, my mother had breast cancer, and her mother had <laughs> breast cancer, and her sister had breast cancer. I said, uh-huh, and what has that got to do with you? Well, and so there's this hidden assumption, of course, that it actually means something when it doesn't it, mean yeah. anything. It, it determines your life. It's a, it's a controlling yeah. factor, and you then you just have to live with whatever those genes came out to be. And that was yeah. called genetic control, which literally means yeah. control by genes, genetic determinism. Mm-hmm. The, the new mm-hmm. science, the new science uh, is, is so exciting because it sounds almost the same. It says epigenetic control. And you say, epigenetics? What's epigenetics? Well, uh, most important understanding is that this is a revolution that changes civilization for this following reason. Epi is a prefix that means above. So, for example, yeah. uh, what is the, you know, the Latin name for, for skin? You say, epidermis. I say, what does yeah. that mean? Dermis is the layer just below the skin. Epidermis is the layer above the skin, above. So, yeah. uh, I mean, above the dermis. Well, it literally so, means, in Greek, it means above and after, as in epilogue. But after means after the genetic formation, which is there, and thank God for it, there's epigenetic, which follows and is the, the empowerment to yeah, use your, above, genes, your genes wisely. Let's 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 start with a very fundamental error that almost everybody's been programmed with, and that was the error. Yes. Oh, genes turn on and genes turn off. Well, mm-hmm. once you say that, you've given them power of activating Over. their expression or stopping their yeah. expression, and all of a sudden you gave them self empowerment. The genes did this, and, and this yeah. is let's clear the air right away for this fact. This is totally false. Biggest falsest thing. Uh, ever because the fact that is genes have worn and off. G- yeah. G- genes are blueprints. Genes are blueprints. Why is that important? Blueprints have no no vote, no choice, no action. They don't make decisions. They're used right. in making a structure, but they themselves do not control anything. They provide a pattern. And so, what is epigenetics? It is the understanding of how genes are selected, uh, activated. Uh, how genes are the the blueprint is uh, modified. It's, you can modify every gene in your body, create a thousand, two thousand, three thousand variations of proteins from the same gene blueprint via epigenetic alteration. So basically, epigenetics is responsible for activation and expression of genes. And I say, but what is what is that thing above the genes? Epigenetic control, mm-hmm. control above the genes. What is it? I go. It's the environment. And then I go, when cells are like an amoeba live in the environment, they're directly influenced by the information in the environment. But then I say, inside your body you have 50 trillion amoeba-like cells, and they work together in harmony to create your physical body. And I say, well, the cells inside my body, let's say my liver, they can't see what's going on in the environment. And how are they going to control themselves? I say, ah, when the cells became a big community, some of the cells became dedicated to read the environment and then relay that information to the cells on the inside. It's called the nervous system. So mm-hmm. the function of the nervous system is to read the environment and then coordinate the function of the cells inside to match the needs of that environment. Well, the, mm-hmm. the relevance about that is, well, then the nervous system sits between the actual real environment and the cells. 
But in the nervous system, we have something called the mind, which does interpretation. Mm-hmm. So two mm-hmm. people with the same brains and nervous system are looking at the same place, and because of their minds being different, one will see something different in the field than the other one will see, and they're both looking at the same thing. And that's because the minds do the interpretation. So all of a sudden, I back up and I say, epigenetics, environmental signals control biology. In a single cell, no problem. It lives in the environment. It's going to respond directly to it. In a human, for example, with 50 trillion cells, the cells are disconnected from the environment. They're under your skin. But I have a nervous system that reads the environment and relays the information. And then I also have to say that my nervous system does interpretation. (laughs) And sometimes my interpretations are correct. Sometimes my interpretations are wrong. So the information that finally got to my cells could be right or wrong based on how I see the world. And all of a sudden you start to realize if you change your perceptions, then you're changing the signals you're sending to the cells. You're changing your biology. And all of a sudden they go, wait a minute. I just taught all these medical students for how many years genes control life. And then all of a sudden epigenetics uh, says, wait a minute. Uh, Genes didn't control life. It's your perceptions of the world that activate and control your genes. And why does that become important? If genes control your life, by definition, you're a victim. If perceptions control your life, then by definition, you have the potential to be the master for this reason. You're the one that controls the perceptions and the environment. So basically, you can change your perceptions and change your environment, and as a result, totally alter the genetic readout of your cells. And that takes us from victim to master. And that's the evolution of what epigenetics, when it finally gets to the public and they understand it, because they'll recognize that less than 5% of illness is gene-based directly. Uh, All the rest of illness is is the way we respond to the environment, our perceptions, our attitudes, our emotions, our beliefs about the environment. These are the things that manipulate our genetics and can create cancer and diabetes and Alzheimer's and all these things. And because they do create that, and we do control that, then in the real knowing, we are we are masters of our health and responsible for our health or our or our disease in ninety percent or more of the cases. And we've never been told that. And we've been told we're just victims and if you take this pill that will fix you. And it's like, Wow, did you get robbed again? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> That's not right. how it works. The pill works if you believe the pill works. Oh, we're back to biology of belief. We're back to what's called the placebo effect. Exactly. All that. You believe it, that's the way it works. That's right. Isn't that fascinating? Now, that doesn't say there isn't a biochemistry at play. There is a chemistry at play. However, the role of the mind, which you have helped us see so powerfully through your work in the biology of belief and your subsequent work, that the mind is exerting such an influence on outcomes and on cellular life because one of the signals that the cell is receiving is from your own mind, your own senses, your own perception, and uh, put those together and you get a belief. So we become the author. Let's go back to the story of love and fear for a second. And yeah. I say uh, that the that the blood, the composition, the chemical composition of the blood, is represents the environmental signals that shape the genetics and the behavior. 
if you change the yes. chemical composition of the blood, you influence the behavior and genetics of your cells. I say, well, who's the chemist? I say, well, the brain's the chemist. I say, yeah, but what chemistry should the brain release? And I say, what is the mind perceiving? So I give the example. Mm. I say, we talked about when you fall in love, uh, you, you start to release these beautiful neurochemicals into the system, uh, uh, dopamine, vasopressin, mm -hmm. serotonin, oxytocin. oxytocin. I say, you know, if I take those chemicals and put them in a plastic Petri dish where I grow cells in the laboratory, those yes. cells grow exuberantly well. And why is that relevant? Oh, and the answer is because when you have a thought of love in your body, your blood is the culture medium that feeds 50 trillion cells. And when you release these elements into the blood, those elements directly affect the genetics and behavior of the cells. Whether the cells are in a skin-covered human body or in a plastic dish, it doesn't make a difference. It's still the environmental signals. And, and yes. so I say, so love generates that exuberance of health that everyone's like, wow, I'm so in love and I'm so healthy, and that's great. And I say, what about fear? And I go, oh, wait. It, the same person in love all of a sudden has a, a moment of fear. The mm. dopamine, oxytocin, vasopressin, serotonin, that stuff's not released. When you're in a moment of fear, you release stress hormones, cortisol, inflammatory agents such as histamine. Uh, and I say, wow, what, well, what if you took those chemicals that are released by the brain in fear and you put those in a petri dish with cells, what happens? And I say, interestingly, the cells stop their growth and then start to begin to die. Yeah. And all of a sudden I say, yeah, but what does that mean in regard to you and by? I say, what are your thoughts? If you're in love, you're releasing the chemistry that provides tremendous growth. And when you're in fear, you're releasing the chemistry that shuts down the cells and puts them into protection. And a sustained protection is death. Boom. Mind over matter. You know, it yeah, exactly. It's so beautifully put. So beautifully put. When there's an open system, as you were saying before, that is life enhancing and it's love attracting. You know, and it's also feedback attracting. And when there's a closed loop, that empty cell that Leeuwenhoek saw originally, you know, the perimeter. Um, you know, you've got a system that becomes um, sort of uh, insulated and, in a sense, isolated, and it cannot live. It's not in harmony with all of the life around it. So this makes a powerful, I don't even want to say argument, but, but it really does let us know, it informs us that an open life, an open heart, and a heart full of love really is the thing that continues to feed us that higher level nutrition, if you will, of love. And it makes all of the poetry on the planet, you know, have a new level of resonance. It has a, uh, a truth to it that we sort of know in our gut is so. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And as you're having those thoughts uh, of love and fear and all that, and we mentioned this briefly, but I want to come back to it, is that um, we talked about how the nervous system uh, translates these thoughts into energy and vibration, and you can read them with yes. a, like an uh, electroencephalograph putting wires on the skin and read that. Um, yes. I, I want to add this because this is also part of the honeymoon effect because it's very interesting. It's, it also shows 
your thoughts, though, are not contained just in your head because there's a new uh, mechanism to read brain function. It's not electroencephalograph. It's called magnetoencephalograph. Instead of reading electric fields, it reads the magnetic fields of the brain. Well, the, Mm -hmm. the most exciting thing about the technology is the probe is not touching the head. The probe is outside of the head at a distance. And as it you is the process aura. your brain, yes. what's that? Uh-huh. As you process your, your information, yeah, you are broadcasting the vibrational frequencies. Your brain's like a tuning fork. So, yeah. uh, and then we talk about that constructive and destructive interference where energies come together and match and mix and whatever they do. Yes. And I'm saying, when you have a thought, it's not contained in your head. Your brain acts as a tuning fork, sends out the vibration that is the complement of that thought. What will happen is anything in the universe that is complement to that energy will resonate with that thought, meaning move, and things that are not complementary to that energy will not respond to the energy and just be still. Relevance. When you're having a thought, it's not just in your head, you're sending out a broadcast. The broadcast yeah. will interact with anything in the field that is totally connected to that thought, cause it to move, and bring it into yeah. your life. And those things that don't respond to that thought will not come into your life. So uh, it's really interesting. Yes, if you start living a happy, loving, and wonderful experience of heaven on earth, the broadcast from a mind like that will not resonate with negative people and negative things. And as a result, when you're in love like that and you're expressing that love, you will find you you will be surrounded by others who are expressing the same thing. And and this is the nature of why love is so important for the planet, because as more people fall in love, that that energy spreads, affecting all those around, and that at some point we can encapsulate the entire planet with, with love, uh, and the whole exactly. world will change instantly when that happens. Exactly. And love, from this point of view, Bruce, of course, you're really implying is the opposite of fear. And what has happened historically and up to date is that the larger institutions of our societies have been really promulgating fear from the churches to the governments. And they promulgate fear, and that becomes the, the consensus, the consensus energy, default energy, if you will. Whereas those of us who are seeking to promote love as the consensus reality, that becomes a new tipping point that's going to create the kind of heaven on earth that we all really seek. This is this has been the, the mission statement for those in knowledge for the longest of time. They've known yeah. the difference between growth and protection. They've known the nature of programming. Uh, they've known the nature of fear as a tool. Uh, and, and, you know, we talked about fear, you know, affecting the human body when I talked about how the cells uh, close down and stop taking in nutrition. Right. Uh, and the reason they do that, there's, I mean, there's logic behind it. And the answer is, if you're afraid of something on the outside, let's say that saber-toothed tiger, uh, and uh, you're going to have to run from it, uh, how much energy in your body do you want to allocate toward running away? And the answer is, every little bit of energy that I can. And so uh, protection says, let me shut down everything that's using energy so I can allocate the energy to the need of protection running away. Uh, So that means you shut down the growth. Uh, It's not to punish you. That's just to conserve energy to save your life. Well, well, you know, the issue about that is um, not only does it shut down growth, it shuts down the immune system. Uh, And the reason why 
is, well, if you've ever been sick, uh, you realize how tired you've been and stuff like that, you know, and you can't get out of bed and all that. Uh, basically, yeah. because when you're sick and the immune system is operating, tremendous quantities of energies are employed by the immune system so much that it causes you to be tired and weak and stay in bed. So mm-hmm. here's the point. You're being chased by a lion, and uh, you have a bacterial infection where, you know, diarrhea is possible at this moment. You're in charge of energy production, and I say, well, how much energy do you want to fight the bacteria with, and how much of the energy do you want to use to run away from the lion, or the tiger, excuse me? And the answer is kind of obvious, but the hell with the bacteria. Uh, If I can't run away from the tigers, the bacteria are no longer my problem anyway. Uh, And so basically, uh, all energy is allocated to running away, which means stress hormones shut off the immune system. So now right away we talked about stress as being the 90% cause of uh, doctor visits in the United Illness. States. That's a, that's a science paper. Uh, mm-hmm. And I say, well, why should stress cause uh, doctor visits? Number one, we already said, because it causes cells to stop growing and maintaining themselves, which leads to a breakdown of the machine. Number two, mm-hmm. uh, it shuts down the immune system because of the significance of conserving energy and the immune system being a, a, you know, a, a big user of energy. Uh, so what does that mean? Well, not only are you weak now uh, because you're not promoting your growth, but now you're opening yourself up to infection uh, because you're cutting back on the equivalent of what is called the EPA, the Immune System Environmental Protection Agency, uh, you, mm-hmm. cut, you, you shut down its, uh, its funding and no longer can it protect you. So you are weakening yourself and you are already on the verge of getting sick because you're opening up the floodgate for infections just because of the stress hormones. And, and, then, and then I like to add this last one because the, the third effect of stress hormones uh, the first two are these are injuries to the system, <laughs> you know. Uh, and mm-hmm. uh, uh, the third effect is, as I refer to it, as adding insult to the injuries, and that is yes. this: the nature of how the the stress hormones shut down the growth of the body is that the stress hormones cause the blood vessels in the gut to constrict. When the blood vessels in the gut constrict, no blood flows through the gut, so the blood preferentially goes through the arms and legs. Well, mm-hmm. yeah, that's where you need the energy for fight or flight. You close the vessels down. Well, here's the other thing. When the stress hormones are released, they also cause the blood vessels in the prefrontal cortex, the consciousness area, to constrict. And they shut down the blood flow to the consciousness while they enhance the blood flow to the hindbrain, which is reactivity, reflex behavior. So the insult to injury is when you're stressed, not only did you shut down the growth of the cells, not only did you inhibit the immune system, oh, but you became less, less intelligent. Right, you became now stupid. <laughs> you become stupid uh, because you're, you're into a reflex reaction mode, which is not thinking yeah. at all. So yeah. your behavior is not controlled by thinking. And, and, and I said, well, what is the net consequence of stress on a system? Well, I can tell you right now the two main things. Number one, uh, is that the population that is under stress is going to get sick because of cutting off growth and inhibiting the immune system. And number two, mm-hmm. they're going to become less intelligent. And then I look around me, and when I leave the country <laughs> and look back, the horrifying oh, sight boy. to find yeah. that the U.S. is one of the sickest nations in the West – and now is becoming one of the least intelligent nations in, in the West. 
and, and the relevance is um, look how sick and dumb we become, and the reason why is fear. Yeah. Yeah. And 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 that was oh, not, that's and harrowing. It's not an accident. Yes. Uh, Tony it's not Ben. An accident. Tony Ben, member of Parliament. I used the video from um, uh, uh, Michael Moore's movie Sicko, the excerpt. Tony Ben mm-hmm. flat out said. Governments do not want a healthy, intelligent population because they are difficult to control. And, and then I look around and I go, oh, my God, we are in, in total control. We are in trouble. No, we're laughing, but it's, it's truly tragedy come to visit us at our door. And, Absolutely. Uh, With knowledge. You know, it wasn't an accident. It wasn't a coincidence. These people know exactly what they're doing. That's right. That's right. They really do. They really do. And, and so that's why I so love your work, Bruce, because at the end of the day, it's incredibly empowering. It takes people out of, as I wrote in our newsletter, and for those of you, by the way, who haven't gotten our newsletter or don't yet get it, go to simply our website, www.abetterworld.tv, abetterworld.tv, to get it, because in it I was writing about your work, and I was saying that you have taken us from the passenger seat, i.e., the gene issue, the gene myth, and you put us into the driver's seat of our own lives. And you've done so using the greatest religion of our present day, which is science. <laughs> and it's Absolutely. a, a different... <laughs> and it's, it's kind of fun religion. because science, yeah. is, science, like any other religion, uh, has been living on dogma for a long time. And it's very True. hard to change the direction of science. And, and the reason why is because the investment in the current vision of science is so yeah. much money that yeah. the yeah. new science will completely undermine it. And so the investors are like, we don't need no thinking of science. Yes. <laughs> and, yes. And, and, and the concept of epigenetics and belief change modalities exactly. and influence of stress, uh, these are not the primary emphasis of, uh, of what we're talking about, and yet they are the primary cause of the of the situation we face in our world today. Yes, exactly. So what you see is that you have real science and you have science co-opted by money, mere money interests. And these are two radically different kinds of science. And even, even you could say, Good scientific thinking has been plagued, and I'm not using that word lightly, by mythical thinking. And you have really been, and I'm not just lauding you because I love you, it's because you really have been a myth breaker in a powerful, important sense for us to evolve as a humanity, to let go of this false notion with which we've been programmed about the gene myth, and and there are others that you have also helped to cite, and you've brought the wisdom of the mystics, if you will, to scientific light and scrutiny, and that's one of the things that you have done so beautifully in this book, which I'm just eating up. I mean, anything about love, you know, you've got me, but the honeymoon effect really is helping to show, you can almost say, the physiology of love and the effect that being part of an open system has on self, biology, and consciousness. 
uh, and, and the future of this sense. world. Uh, yeah, and the I'm future sorry? of this world, Mitchell, because and the future of this world, love, exactly. The other people are, are, are it's contagious. People want it's to contagious. be around exactly. love. And, and, These are and not, this is not that. a conversation. This is not just a conversation between two colleagues and friends who enjoy um, discussing matters that uh, titillate us. This is really a conversation, a dialogue that listeners can take with them and really deeply reflect on to see how we are the ones who are going to determine the future of this planet and this species. Absolutely. Because we have to we have to step outside of this box that has imprisoned people and and, yes. and a very important part of stepping outside of the box is not to fight with the box. That's a waste yes. of our energy, you know? It, right. it basically uh is just step outside the box and don't feed that box by just yeah. creating your own life on the other side without because people think oh we're going to have to be warriors and fight fight these things and I'm saying matter of fact mm-hmm. you can win by not fighting uh, yeah. but but just not participating with them uh, they right. lose and, exactly. and so really we have to move in that direction and say to people uh, don't don't spin your wheels in, in this thing and try to get that system to change step outside yeah. that system and yeah. be part of a new system because exactly. the, the existing system is so flawed that this, and now it's a scientific fact. So you know, when I say this, this is not like a, a possible. I'm saying this is a fact that we are mm-hmm. deep into the sixth mass extinction of life on this planet. Five times in the history of this planet, life got wiped out. It was thriving, and then it got wiped out. Uh, they attribute these losses to like comets or asteroids hitting the planet and you know turning the environment mm-hmm. upside down. The sixth mm-hmm. mass extinction we're in right now today. Uh, is recognized a mass extinction because we're losing losing species of organisms faster than in the previous five mass extinctions. And yet the most interesting part of science's understanding of the sixth mass extinction is that the cause is human behavior. And that the programs, the way we have been living, have disconnected us from nature, from each other, from understanding of our connection with spirituality, which is quantum physics, uh, all this other stuff, we are living a, a, a misunderstood life, and in misunderstanding it, we are undermining the ground upon which we came from. We we came from the biosphere. If you destroy the biosphere, by definition, you destroy your own origin and your source. You, you can't do that. So we are facing the sixth mass extinction. And and I love you know you, you go to. Uh, Einstein to get the resolution very simply he said uh, you cannot solve the problems with the same thinking that created the problems and I said well whose thinking has created the problem then I okay we make a list educational system healthcare system government economy religious. Uh, religion these are the institutions that have shaped our culture to this moment and the way that culture is running uh, we're running dead into a mass extinction right now. Exactly. So basically, uh, what what is required, and, and you know, as Einstein emphasizes, different thinking. This thinking yeah. isn't adequate. This isn't going to work. And and what we're finding is like y- your show uh, ha- has been, you know, very very important in provoking new thinking. 
you you bring all these these wonderful new ideas and people to the forefront to get us out of the box. Stop looking at the old leaders because they're they're not willing for you to become empowered. If you become empowered, they lose the power. So uh, all kinds of personal empowerment things are pretty much frowned upon by the existing system, and yet the only way out of the existing system is step outside the box, live a different way of life, reprogram the uh, the limitations, the, the matrix story, take that red pill, yes. get out of these programs, because when you did it in the past, the consequence of getting out of the program was your experience of, of that amazing love. And that's our destination. So yeah, I can't imagine a better encouragement to step outside the box and to recognize when you fell in love, it was because you stepped outside the box. Yeah, uh, exactly. And that's a great, great motivation right there. It really is. In other words, Bruce, we should be drunk with love. <laughs> that's, Absolutely. you know, just like Ruby describes, right? And if we're and, drunk and with what? love, that will be our liberation. Excuse Absolutely. Me? And as you're doing that, all your cells are going to be nourished to the hilt with the greatest <laughs> chemistry of growth and maintenance and health. Uh, and so as we become in love, we become healthier, and that's what we need right now. That's right, that's right, that's right. In closing, if you would just share with us that it seems fitting, um, this whole idea. By the way, I just want to circle back to one thing that you were talking about uh, earlier without mentioning the phrase of the law of attraction, which was underlying, and of course you do go into that in the book, but the law of attraction is that idea that when we broadcast, because our nervous system is a broadcaster, and we know that through the work, for instance, of Dr. Larry Dossey and the power of prayer, we understand that we are non-local beings as well. Something else I love the way you go into that, too, um, that we are all truly connected, and it's a physiological fact. And we can go into denial about it, and that's part of going into the closed-loop system and shutting down and going into the hindbrain and losing touch with reality and getting into just a fear mode. But when we open up, we can realize our non-locality, realize that we're connected to all beings, all sentient life, and we can live from that space. And that involves the creating of our lives that you speak about so well, which also, by the way, um, gives a good role to this notion that's become very popular of fake it until you make it, because what we've inherited from our first seven years is so much possible mishigas. Now, some of it is really good, and it's helped us, you know, um, cut our food and eat it with a fork and things like that. There's a lot that we learned in our young life that is serving us and aspects about love and courtesy and respect. But there's a lot that has gone against that. So is it so, Bruce, that if we fake it until we make it, if we consciously choose who we want to be, we will start to develop a new pattern a new habit in that domain and shift ourselves until we we fit those shoes 
Exactly. We we talk about the, the, the vibrational energy as fundamental communication of everything from every organism, bacteria, all the way up to the top. It's fundamental. Yes. And that organisms seek energy so that an organism will move toward any energy that is uh, what we talked about, constructive interference, where where the energy of the that other thing and your energy, when they come together, enhance you. Uh, again, yes. nature's way of directing you in the world by giving you more and more energy. Uh, that th- this becomes uh, re- really what we have to look at is recognizing it's the energy signaling that happens first before anything else. And and then I say, yeah, but as we mentioned, your thoughts are energy signals, uh, and they're broadcast as we can mm-hmm. you know pick them up via the magnetoencephalograph. Uh, yes. And basically, what it says is that. In front of you, you know, as you're walking down the street, in front of you, your thought field is going down the street farther than you, and anything that resonates with that thought field is going to be drawn to you. Uh, and then the issue is, well, what are you, what are your thoughts? <laughs> because if they're negative yeah. thoughts, you you'll attract something negative. If they're positive thoughts, you'll attract something positive. So you say, well, I don't have anything positive in my life. I say, well. Until you start broadcasting something positive, that's right. nothing that's positive out there will respond to you. So you say, well, I don't In other words, make it up. Right make it up. <laughs> make it up. See it as coming. See it as this is, this is what I want. Because if you yeah. focus on the visualization of what you want, uh, that's the broadcast you're going to you know, put forward. And uh, it's exactly. funny because I always used to say, be careful of uh, what you wish for because uh, you're going to get it, you know, the old Asian mm-hmm. uh, curse, more or less. Uh, Margaret uh, right. said that's a really negative thing. She said, be conscious of what you wish for because you're going to get it. So the whole idea yes. is if you want it, uh, it ha- you okay. have to have the positive picture of it in your head because if you don't have the positive picture in your head, then any vibration coming from there will not activate that thing that you want. It will only activate mm-hmm. what resonates with the picture. So, mm-hmm. uh, as you said, and it's most critical, if you don't have it right now, that doesn't mean just sit there and wait like a lump. Why? Because if you're not putting it out, it can't come back. And therefore, right. you really have to start focusing that, look, there is a better life. At some time in your life, you may have experienced some of this, and you start to try and get into that state of mind of what it was like because once you once you you start sending out the, the the love vibes, the joy vibes, it doesn't have to be about another person. It's just the joy of life. People will gravitate to that. It always reminds me of uh, Meg Ryan and when Harry met Sally, and there she is, you know, faking that orgasm in the in the diner. And a woman at another table looks over and says, "I want what she's having." And, and, and basically, this is how you start it. She faked it, but look at the other people around. They wanted it. Exactly. Everybody <laughs> wanted it anyway, yeah. even a fake orgasm. <laughs> right. So it says fake it till you make it. Yeah, because oh, that's if, you so don't, funny. if you don't broadcast it, it can't come. That's basically exactly. what it says. Exactly, exactly. Well, Bruce Lipton, I am glad that I broadcast the vibes that uh, attracted you to a better world many, many years ago. and. I just love that we've been friends ever since, and uh, I just Mitchell. I, I, I want to thank you, and I want to let the audience know how appreciative I am because, as I said, you offer people with a different vision an opportunity to come to the forefront and take a you know a, a chance at saying, "Hey, look, th- there's better things." And and I want to thank you because years ago, when I first stepped out, uh, you uh, were one of the earliest people that said, "Hey, this sounds so good. Come on and talk about it." Uh, and I'm so glad because. 
uh, from that very early day, uh, and a lot of people, they used to get mad at me, especially the so-called people that thought they knew science. They they would call me, yeah. oh, you're a pseudoscientist, a charlatan, a, qua- a quack, a fake. <laughs> and, and I just love it because two years ago, an entire branch of science is now dedicated to the, everything I said in the biology belief, everything. And that science, it's official. You can wear a white coat and say this. Uh, it's called behavioral epigenetics. And behavioral oh, yeah. epigenetics is the science of how your life experiences and your social uh, relationships and character shape your genetics and your health and your life. And it's like, oh, yeah, that's what we call biology belief uh, years before that. Yeah. So uh, I want to thank you for your support over those years and, and to let you know that uh, it's gotten very positive and it's mainstream. Even if it has a different name, it's still biology of belief. Indeed. Well, Bruce, you're so welcome, and you've been a gift to the planet, and uh, it's not just something from the past. I will, in a better world, will continue to be supporting you and your work for the duration. And the duration Thank you, my dear friend. is immortal. So Thank you. put on your seatbelt and let's go. Okay. All right. Thank you again, Bruce, for joining us today, and we'll definitely be having you on again as soon as we can find the time. I appreciate it, and I appreciate everyone who stayed around to listen to us having fun. Thank you all. Thank you very much. Exactly. Thank you. And you can get more information from www.brucelipton.com. We have his books also at our website, www.abetterworld.tv. All of his books and information are there, as well as several interviews that I have done with him over the years on video. So please join us uh, next time. We're on every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, and we're on television in Manhattan, New York City, every Tuesday night at 10.30. You can access that in Manhattan on television, and the information is on our website. And if you're out of Manhattan, it's webcast slash simulcast, and you can access it again from the same website, abetterworld.tv. Thanks so much for joining us and tuning in. Remember the book, The Honeymoon Effect, The Science of Creating Heaven on Earth by Bruce Lipton, who we just spent the last two hours speaking with. Thanks so much for joining us and sticking with us, and I look forward to speaking with you all next week.